Can you imagine what it, uh, ever stop and think what it would be like to follow Jesus for three years? You just imagine what, who gets bored sometimes? Do you ever get bored? Amen, Amen says Christine. <laughs> yes, hallelujah. I wonder if there was any bored times for the disciples who follow Jesus. Right from the beginning, they saw something in those three. Even the way some of them were called was miraculous. Never mind the journey, even the way they were called into ministry was as a result of a miracle. And everywhere they went, they would hear words that no one had ever spoken about before. They would, they would see scriptures they would have read and heard read by the, the leader of the synagogue week after week. Jesus comes along and says, this is what that means. They would have seen sicknesses just driven out in one movement. Demons destroyed out of people's lives. Even the dead raised. Can you imagine what it would have been like following Jesus around? But not only people, not only did he have power and influence over people, he had power and influence over uh, nature. Extraordinary. It's been windy, hasn't it, this week? Yeah? Windy and rainy. Jesus comes along and just says, stop. Stop. The wind dies down. Extraordinary. Do you think it's extraordinary? Yeah. It's amazing. Imagine being with him when he did this. The winds, the waves, trees. Trees. Jesus would curse a tree and it wouldn't bear fruit. Extraordinary. He could even expect there, be, there to be fruit on a tree when it, was, when it was out of season. He was so above everything else. He was even cross when a tree didn't bear fruit out of season. Read it. Victory. Animals, everything under his power and influence. No doubt, if all we were disciples, we'd been walking this journey and we'd start discussing what is it about this man? What is it he's got? Where does he get this power from? Where does he get the influence from? How does he come to have this great anointing on his life? You know, because he doesn't seem to hold strategic meetings doesn't seem to have planning. He doesn't seem to go away for the weekend to do some planning, does he? He doesn't have group think. He doesn't kind of share what do you think we should do now? What do you think we should do? He just kind of does it. And I wonder if the disciples thought, what is it that he does? But they would have noticed a pattern in the life of Jesus. Every so often, he'd disappear. Every so often, he'd clear off. Sometimes it would be for an hour, half an hour, sometimes all night. Where's Jesus? Where is he? He's up that mountain there. What's he doing? He's praying. He's praying. They would have seen him far off, whether in constant, deep concentration, however Jesus prayed physically, I don't know, but they noticed, this, and they began to notice there's a connection. Is there a connection between the way he prays and what he does? At least one occasion when the disciples were trying to sort out a situation, Jesus, we can't do it. We can't do this. Jesus says, oh man, you guys. You've got to realise this kind of thing only gets sorted out through prayer. Prayer. And what they saw, so amazing. The disciples knew about prayer. Prayer is through the Old Testament. Um, personal pleas and entreaties to God. They had the Psalms, which are full of prayers. And yet they saw something in Jesus which led them to say to the Master, Jesus, teach us to pray. Whatever you're doing there, teach us. Because we want to know what it is 
to pray in such a way that the things you see happen. And this, the answer to this question has produced one of the most familiar and most repeated pieces of writing in, I would suggest, world history. One of the most repeated phrases, sets of words ever repeated in all history, I should imagine, came out of that question that Jesus was asked. Teach us to pray. We've known, it's become known as the Lord's Prayer, uh, basically because the Lord gave it to the disciples as a demonstration or model of how to pray. By varying degrees, I think it's been misused. I think a lot of, a lot of people just repeat the Lord's Prayer kind of as a parrot, as a rote, and they think they've done, they've done their bits for the day. I don't think Jesus ever intended that, that prayer to be used that way. Although like anything, like anything, if there's faith in what you're doing, there's a result on the other side. Right? You hear stories of people who've never known God, desperate, just they know the Lord's Prayer from school, and they speak the Lord's Prayer out, and God meets them, extraordinarily. So I'm not saying God can't work through that, but in what I'm saying, I don't think Jesus necessarily meant it to be used that way. And we can see that from his own life and the way he prayed. Um, I, I, I really want to, over the next few weeks, my title for my messages uh, in the top corner, uh, I want to I pray like a disciple. And I just want to bring some teaching, but not only some teaching on why this prayer is there, but also to bring you some really helpful uh, tools to help you Pray, because prayer is, uh, you've got to say, prayer, from all of scripture, prayer is one of the most vital parts of a Christian's existence. Would everybody agree with that, with me? Prayer is one of the most vital ingredients of the success of any Christian, to the success of any venture, yeah? Yet why do we find it so hard? Why do many people find praying so hard? You know what, if we're clever, we might think there's a connection between the fact that it's one of the most vital things we should do and we find it so hard. Suggest there's something stopping us praying as we should pray. And, um, and I think I just want to unpack a few things on that. Um, I don't call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, there's a simple part reason for that, really. Some of this prayer he could pray and he did pray. We're going to see that in the next few weeks. He used some of this prayer. Um, but of course, Jesus never needed forgiveness. Um, I think he wanted to walk with a forgiven attitude and, his, and his, he must have been challenged a lot of times to have an intolerant, unforgiving attitude the way some people treated him. But he never had to say, forgive me, because he never sinned. Are we, are we agreed on that? He never sinned. Um, so we're going to call it a disciple's prayer. And I want to do some t um, speaking on praying like a disciple. So if we go back, Christine, to that next slide. Oh, I've got it here, actually, but you can do it for me. Um, this prayer is mentioned in two places. One is a, in Luke, is a response to Jesus, to the disciples saying, teach us to pray. This is the... Uh, the famous, perhaps the most well-known one, which is uh, around uh, a Sermon on the Mount. And he says, when you pray, Matthew 6, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, 
for their love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when ye pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when ye pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We thank God for his words. Amen. Whatever the view of prayer the disciples had before Jesus came, they certainly knew that prayer had an influence upon your life from what they saw with Jesus. It produced results. Prayer is intended to produce results. Okay? I believe that prayer is intended to produce results. There are other intentions in it as well, but it's intended to produce results. Um, so we have to believe that when, Jesus, when the disciples said, Jesus teaches us to pray, he was giving them a model that worked. We have to believe that Jesus gave the disciples a model that would work. And I'm going to show you, I'm hoping to try and show you uh, why it works. But before I get into the, this is like an introduction, before I get into the individual parts of the prayer, I want to build some scaffolding around the prayer I want to just kind of give you some insight from the things that um, from the things that Jesus said beforehand and afterwards that would kind of help to support these words it gives you some understanding of what Jesus is trying to get across some some pointed um, pointers (laughs) some pointed pointers can you get other kind of pointers I don't know but some pointers on, on what Jesus, how Jesus framed these words that what I'm hoping will give us insights um, to, to how and why uh, we pray this prayer. Um, so I've got some scaffolding. Do you like my scaffolding? Does that look okay, Richard? A good scaffolding? Yeah, okay. So four things to start with from what Jesus said. Number one, prayer is presence. Prayer is presence. When you pray, go into the room, close the door and pray to your Father. Prayer is not about a system uh, that Jesus, like some kind, we're trying, to learn a, uh, we're trying to learn for an exam where we just go and just do the same thing over and over again. And if we do it well enough, if we do it okay, then God will respond. No, prayer is presence. I believe Jesus not only prayed because it was, a, it was part of his power, I believe he not only prayed because he wanted to hear what God had to say, but you remember, Jesus had left his Father's presence in heaven. When he went to the place of prayer, the joy came from this, it's me and my Father. It's me and my Father. This is where I want to be. God is with us all the time, right? Yes? God is with us all the time. You need to kind of show me that you're awake. He's with us all the time. But there is something unique about being just with one person. I'm with Hazel 
nearly all the time. And we're with our husbands, our wives, or anybody. Or we're quite often with them, aren't we? But there's something precious about just me and Hazel going somewhere on our own. Yeah, even after 28 years, it's still great to go off. And the only thing we have to know when we go anywhere in the world is this. Is there a coffee shop? <laughs> number one. And number two, is there cake? That's all we need to know. Actually, that's all, that's all I need to know. All right? But there's something about just being with the person you love. And Jesus spent time, so much time praying because you know what? The world is shut out. It's me and my father. And I love my father. And I want to be with my father. Prayer is a lot of things, but a primary cause is about communion and fellowship. We love being with the person we want to be with. So Jesus loved being with his father. When, the, when you look at the word, the Greek, when it says go into your room, uh, it says, go into your room, shut the door, go into your room. That Greek word, temion, speaks of an inner chamber, a secret place, or a storage chamber in which are kept treasures and rich resources. In which are kept treasures and rich resources. When you enter a place of prayer, you are going somewhere where your Father is waiting and there are treasures to be found. Hallelujah. There are treasures to be found. It's not just me saying words up. There, this is what God wants for us. You might not feel it's like this right now, but that's okay. But this is what God wants, that when I shut the door, I shut the world out, and I have to do that regularly, I'm going to a place. It's me and my Father. God, what are we going to discover today? What treasures are you going to show me? What am I going to find out about you? What am I going to find out about the world? What am I going to find out about me? It's no wonder Jesus began this prayer with our Father, hallowed is your name. Hallowed is your name, treasured, regarded, respected. It's all in the Father. Everything wonderful of the Father and of his name is waiting to be discovered in the secret place. And as I say, you may not see it like this now, but I want to set an expectation in your hearts. The place of prayer is a place of discovery. Yes, the place of prayer is to be a place of discovery. Because it's you and God, it's the presence. We're not ticking a box, we're meeting the Father. Hallelujah. Prayer is presence. Secondly, prayer is private. Prayer is public, yes. Tomorrow night, meeting Richard and Diane's house, because there's a place for public prayer. But there is a place of prayer that is for you and God alone. It's private. Where you shut the world out, close the door, I believe that most of our advancement, most of our achievement in God is to come out of the place where we and him meet together. I believe that. We see it here because Jesus says, when your father who sees what he's done in private will reward you. Your father who will see what he's done in private will reward you. King James says, will reward you in the open. Every Christian needs a place where they shut the door and it's me and my father. Yes? Every Christian needs a regular place where they shut the door. It's me and my father and it's, I'm pushing the world out. I'm, put, I'm letting go of everything. I'm just, just me and God. Because what I do there, what I do there, consistently what I do there is what will really move me forward. 
Thank God for worship meetings and church. Thank God for conferences. But you know what? It's the thing that Jesus did in private with his father that launched him into, helped launch him into his ministry. God wants to meet with you, just you. Just you. Just when we were worshipping then, I had a kind of a, um, a thought. And sometimes you share your thoughts, sometimes you don't. Okay? You don't have to speak everything, do you think? But I had this kind of image of somebody watching a cake being sliced. And somebody saying, where's my piece? Where's my piece of the cake? And God wants someone to know here, he's got you in mind. He's not going to leave you out. He's not going to leave you out. I've been waiting so long for something from God. I can see other people getting this, other people getting that. Just might be a word for someone this morning. God's going to cut you a slice. And it's going to be delicious. It's going to be better than Diane's coffee cake. Is there such a thing in the world? In one place there is. It's in glory. God wants to meet with us. He wants you to come to him, to be with him, to be in that private place where you just commune together and fellowship together. And I just challenge uh, all leaders here, whatever level of leadership you're in, from the worship team, COGS team, Lighthouse, anything, you will move forward. You will move forward when you develop in the private place. Yeah? Yeah? You will see success when you're laying the foundations, just you and God. I believe that's really important. Number three, prayer, prayer is participatory. <laughs> and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. Do you know anybody who babbles like a pagan? Joe, Joe's so honest. I love Joe. Don't tell us who it is. It might be me. Oh, it's you. It's you. Okay, okay, okay. They think they'll be heard because there are many words. I'm just laying some supports for this prayer when we come to pray it, okay? When you look at other religions and you see them, you can see, can't you? And this, you know, I'm not being disrespectful, but just repeating, repeating, repeating the same thing over and over again. As if, if I do it long enough and loud enough and, and God will say, there's like a benchmark. You've got to do it so many times and they're hoping to reach that benchmark and then God will come and won't destroy you or something. Some of these religions, I was reading about it, some of these religions had so many gods Literally hundreds and thousands of gods that they would spend their whole, whole time saying each one, one after the other, because they weren't too sure which god they needed to do their th thing they wanted. So if they keep saying every god, eventually they hit the one they need, and then God will come. And they just keep saying it. Oh, this, that god, this god, that god, this god, that god. Jesus specifically warns against this. So it's amazing that in many, in many Christian quarters, the Lord's Prayer has become this thing we just say. Just keep saying it. I'll say it every morning. Our Father, right in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Just say it, say it, say it. It's never what God intended it for. Prayer is a treasure hunt. Prayer is a time in the presence of God where, yes, we speak, but God wants to speak to us. 
So there's time in our praying just to be quiet in his presence, to listen to a worship song, to rest, just to be where he is and to hear. We don't have to fill up everything with talking, 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 talking. It's one of the, one of the downsides of our type of church. We're scared of silence, aren't we? We're scared of silence. If it goes quiet in the service, somebody needs to bring a prophetic word or something. Somebody needs to fill the silence. And maybe in our praying as well, it's like, well, I'm not going to sit here, am I? You know what? That's exactly what we should do sometimes. We just sit there. Because God wants to speak to us. It's two-way. Prayer is two-way. And we will come on to some of this. And finally, on this, supporting the prayer is partnership. So we're not to speak and speak and speak and speak. But here's one of those, for me, one of those weird tension things that you get in Scripture. And sometimes you can just focus on one verse and you do all your theology off one verse and then you find there's another verse that doesn't look quite the same. But then Jesus said this, do not be like the pagans for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So you know that, that, that verse would make more sense to me if it said your father knows what you need so there's no need to ask him. Wouldn't it? Why do you have to ask when God already knows what we need? Jesus didn't say you don't ask. He just says, I think your Father knows what you need. So you don't need to go saying, God, like you're going to persuade God to, to bring an answer. God, please do it. God, please do it. God, please do it. God, please do it. If I say, God, please do it enough times, then God will do it. No, but he wants us to ask him. He wants us to ask him for our daily bread. He wants us to... He wants to partner with us. When God made the garden, he put Adam and Eve in to work with him to steward it. God wants to work with you. He wants you to interact with him. He wants you to ask him. Ask of me, the psalmist said, and I'll give the nations for you. Ask me. The nations already belong to Jesus, but as he said, ask me and I'll give them to you. He wants us to come into partnership with him. He wants us to work with him. So even when the things we know he has already done it, there's a, there's a uh, partnership of, of asking and listening. It's not all one way. And we'll come to this in a few minutes. God knows everything. He knows what we need. But he calls us to join him in the renewing of all things. Jesus gives us two parables on prayer. One is the neighbour who bangs and bangs and bangs because the people have come and he wants food. And the other is of a, a, a widow, is it a widow and a judge who keeps banging on the door, I want justice, I want justice. The purpose of those prayers, those parables for me, speak of shameless audacity in asking, persistence and a refusal to accept the impossible. Keep asking. Keep asking. Some people here have been praying for the same thing for years. Keep, keep believing. Keep asking. Don't turn it into like a method. Or if I say it enough times, God will do it. You're not persuading God. But he causes into partnership with himself. Jesus closes this teaching by saying, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. The present imperative in the Greek means this verse can be read like this. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on, uh, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. 
I'll talk about why I think God asks us to do this in a minute. Prayer is presence. Prayer is private. God wants you to develop a private walk with him. Prayer is participatory. Participatory. He doesn't want us to just kind of... And I wasn't speaking in tongues then. And it's partnership. He wants us to engage with him. He wants us to ask him. Why do I think the Lord's Prayer, I'm just going to finish with three more things. Why do I think the Lord's Prayer is a great model? Why do I call it a disciple's prayer? Why do I call it praying like a disciple? Because for me, the, the way this prayer is, is, um, is created, it models what a disciple is. It models the attitude of a disciple. It models the posture of a disciple. And this year, this year, we're looking for this year to be a disciple's adventure. Love, power, and purity. Where do we begin? We begin like praying, by praying like a disciple. And this prayer for me, as I looked at it and meditated on it and read about it, it just gives us three key things that make it a disciple's prayer. The first thing is, it's about... Establishing a position. You know, prayer is not just about getting what we want. That might be a shock to some people or a shame for others. Prayer is not just about getting what we want. I think the culture that we are in, our Western culture, it has that built into it, doesn't it? I'm going after what I want. And sadly, we've seen maybe in some Christian quarters, Christianity becomes another way of getting that. Prosperity gospel, you know, I'm going to have all, everything. It's all mine. It's all mine. Like anything, there's truth in some of that. But if you overbalance it, you end up falling over. Right? I believe in the prosperity of God. Amen? He wants you to prosper. If you don't think God wants you to prosper, then that's a shame. He does. But Christianity is not just another method for materialism to get the things that we want. Christianity is actually about lordship. So a lot of us are really happy with the salvation part, but not so much happy with the lordship part, where Jesus is Lord. This is a hierarchical, a lot of long words today, sorry. It's a hierarchical prayer. A disciple comes to God and says, you're number one. And this prayer establishes that in the very centre of your Christian life, which is in your praying. God, you're glorified. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Then we come down to the things that I need. Give me this day my daily bread. Why are you praying like a disciple when you pray this prayer? Because you're establishing a position. God, you're, the, you're number one. What do you want, first of all? What do you want? What's important to you? What is it that, that, that you need from me? What is it that you want to see done? I want to see, what do I want to see as a disciple? I want to see you honoured and glorified. I want to see your kingdom reign on the earth. And I want your will to be done in, 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 my, in the earth. By the way, God, you know what? I need resources. 
I need resources. Do you understand? Do you understand that by praying this prayer like a disciple, it, pos- it gets, sets the position of where I am, of where we want God to be and where I want to be. John the, the, John the Baptist made that famous phrase, I must decrease, he must increase. He must get more lords, I must get less lord. And the disciples' prayer establishes that. When I come to him, I say, God, you're to be glorified. It's what you want, not what I want. It's your will being done, not my will being done. Yeah? It establishes. It establishes position. Secondly, it's a declaration of surrender. We're praying like a disciple. Yes, we're praying like a disciple. It's a declaration of surrender. At the heart of the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus used aspects of this prayer. In John 17, he prayed for his disciples. And my prayer is that you don't take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus prayed this over us. Father, protect them from the evil one. He also prayed really famously, didn't he? In Gethsemane. If possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. And he prayed it three times. It's okay to ask more than once for the same thing. He prayed it three times. Not my will, but your will. Jesus modelled this. He was a follower of the Father. He came to do the Father's will. He surrendered his life for the Father's will to be done. There's great words in in Philippians um, 2 when he said, um, for the joy, uh, no, 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 uh, um, it's gone. If I get the first word, I'll get it. First line. Um, Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but taking the nature of a servant, he made himself nothing. And having humbled himself, he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He surrendered himself. The heart of a disciple is surrender. Yeah? The heart of a disciple is surrender. And this prayer, if you use this prayer, you use a model of this prayer, it sets that, it establishes that right in the heart of the very core of your Christianity, which is your prayer life. It's this, your will be done, not mine. I'd like this, I'd like that. Jesus said, you know what, God, I'd rather I didn't have to be beaten and tortured. Good prayer. But your will be done, not mine. And women will never be asked to do what Jesus did. Hallelujah. But there may be things that we know, you know what, I have to surrender. Because that's what a disciple does. And the disciples, all the disciples surrendered their life to Jesus all but one lost their lives in doing it. We may never, most of us here, probably all of us, never will be asked to give up our lives. But there will be calls to surrender, to lay down. And that's what a disciple does. And when we pray like a disciple, we, in, we establish surrender in the heart of our praying. Finally, dependence. It's a confession of dependence. Why are we praying like a disciple when we use this model? Because in the heart of our prayer life, we are saying, position, God, you're number one. Surrender, God, I lay my life down for you. Dependence, God, everything I need comes from you. 
Everything I need comes from you. In our modern world, we've got every, it's like we've got everything we could ever need, haven't we? If we don't have enough money, we'll borrow some. Are we? If I have a pain, I've got a, I've got a pill that will do it. You know, everything we need is there. It's like if we, um, if you've got a question, I was trying, I say to younger people, you know what, there were times when we had a question about anything, about sharks or building. And we were sitting in the lounge. You could not find the answer unless you had a book. Remember that? that told you what the answer was. And if you didn't have that book, you didn't know. You have to ring somebody up. You have to ring up a shark expert <laughs> and say, how do sharks work? Now, you can find out everything you could ever want to know immediately. Can't you? Might not be right, of course. But you can find out everything you ever want. It's quite different for our younger people here to understand that there were times you didn't know an answer. You couldn't, you couldn't find an answer. Everything is so easily achievable. But I think this become, can begin to impact on a disciple's life to reduce our effectiveness. I can do it myself. That attitude, I can do it myself, lessens our need of God. It causes us to think that what I need and have, I have to create. And what I create is due to me. And what I do that's due to me is owned by me. And what is owned by me belongs to me. And before you know it, God is shut out. And God becomes that thing you need when things are too tough. You can't handle it yourself. You see what I mean? I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to paint a picture of what a disciple looks like. We get a lot of people, I've lived like this before, I don't need God unless it's really too hard and there's no other answers. I don't think that's how a disciple is to live. A disciple understands everything I have comes from him. Everything I need is found in him. I'm dependent on him. So we say, give us this day our daily bread. You may have all the money you'll ever need. You may have the houses you'll ever need. You might have the cars. You might have the pensions. But you know what Jesus said? Do not build your house on the sand. Because all of that can go in a second. So however wealthy or unwealthy you are, this is the prayer every day. God, give, us what I, give me what I need today. And why is it prayer dependence? Because Jesus said, we can ask him again and again. I've got everything I need. Well, ask him. Ask him. God, I'm looking to you. I'm dependent on you. What did God say? I know, what did he say? God knows what you need, but when you come and ask him, because we've got to say, God, I've got to keep thinking this. We've got to root this in the centre of our discipleship. Everything I need comes from you, God. It's from you. Everything I need comes from you. I need answers. I need peace. I need finances. I need a new house. I need resources. God, give us this to our daily bread. You need protection. God, today, protect me from the evil one. You need a change in attitude. God, help me to forgive. All of these things at the core of the Christian life, we say, God, I depend on you for all of this. Romans 11, 33 to 36. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him 
and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. For from him and through him and for him are all things. So Jesus says, ask and keep on asking. Because you need to know where it comes from. And God forbid we ever get to the stage where we say we don't need to ask anymore because we've got it all sorted. We've got it all sorted. He wants us to ask. Praying like a disciple means praying like one who is everyday positioned, everyday surrendered, and everyday dependent on the Father. Developing in this prayer, in this model of prayer, keeps us there. We are to pray in the Spirit, and there's lots of teaching on prayer. We have to pray in the Spirit. We have to engage with the Holy Spirit. We have to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, and that's vital. And we'll talk about that as we go on. But, um, but I don't think that means we, don't come, we, we stop coming before God and developing this consistent walk with the Father because we want to show we're positioned, we're surrendered, we're dependent. And there is a way of praying that just confirms that in the very heart of who we are. Later in the sermon, in this section, Jesus sums everything up. And in the summing up of it, he places this prayer right at the centre when he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. This prayer is the centre of that summing up that Jesus gave. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then he still says, ask of me. Give him my daily bread. Because we know he'll do it. We know he'll do it. But he wants us to ask him. God save us this morning from babbling. If you babble, it's time to stop. It's time to stop and change. God's not going to hear your prayer because you say it, just because you say it over and over again. He wants to partner with you. He wants to participate with you. He wants to be in private with you. More than that, he wants his presence with you. We don't want to repeat the same bless me prayers over and over again with no connection to the Father or the Holy Spirit. But we want to establish a disciple's prayer with a disciple's heart and a mindset that will set us up for victory after victory. We're going to look in the coming weeks of how we can use this prayer, not only in terms of theology or whatever, but practically. How can you use this prayer to establish a model where you pray like a disciple? Where you pray what you want to see, what you want God, what God wants to see in us and through us. We're on a disciple's adventure. So let's start by praying like a disciple. Let's start by praying like a disciple. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Now God, give us the resources we need. Give us the resources we need to be part of that commission and to live our lives to the full. Give us our daily bread. Give us your words. Give us our food, our finances, our abilities, our gifts. 
Give us the resources we need. Help us to walk with forgiveness. Help us to walk in forgiveness. Because we know that if we're not walking in forgiveness, our prayers aren't heard. Hallelujah. And God, don't lead us into temptation. We want to be overcomers in every trial. And Father, would you deliver us from the evil, anything the enemy tries to throw at us. God, because we want to be part of your kingdom coming and we don't want to be distracted. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. God, this is the heart cry of a disciple. God, I know not all of us are there until we don't think that way completely. But God, we know this is a journey. We're on a journey to becoming more like you. And Father, our heart is to reach the many thousands in this town. Our heart is to see Northampton transformed. Our heart is to see our families running after you. That's that our heart is to have make encountering and demonstrating the love of God the greatest adventure. God, we don't want to be Christians and just have you in our lives for the nice little bits that we just enjoy, for the bits that give us benefits and then just leave you alone for the rest of the time. God, I pray that you'd make us disciples. God, who more and more position ourselves that you're number one who more and more surrender our lives, that it's your will being done, that more and more see our dependence is upon you. I bless everybody here this week, God, that as we come to pray, Father, we will encounter your presence. As we come to pray, we will find that the world and its views are just locked out and it's me and the Father. As we come to pray, it won't be just one way, babbling, God. As we pray and read your word, you'd speak to us. And God, as we pray, we would see we're partnering with you as we ask you for everything we need to fulfill your will on this earth and your kingdom coming. God, may we be a people who pray, who walk with you and hear you, and do your will. Father, we love you and we bless you. And thank you that you want to be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So over the coming weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we unpack those words. I'm looking forward to it. Prayer is what makes things happen. Yeah? It's what makes things happen. Not as corporate as a church, but for you individually. For you individually. And we're going to see it for his glory. Hallelujah. Let's sing one more song.